Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening to Bible Crossfire every Sunday night at this time. On this program, we deal with many times with doctrinal differences between believers. And what we do is we let the Bible tell us what's correct. Second uh, John verse 9 says we have to abide in the teaching of Christ to have God to be saved. So it's so important that we believe and teach and follow the doctrine of Christ. And if somebody teaches something different than what the New Testament, the Bible teaches, then they're not following the doctrine of Christ. And so if we're not following the doctrine of Christ, we're following something different. We don't have God. We're not saved. <clears throat> we, uh, of course, allow you to call in and make have with your questions or comments. As the announcer said, the number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is 877-655-6755 if you have a Bible question or comment about any Bible topic. Now, while we're waiting on our first call... I thought we'd talk about the relation of obedience to salvation. The question would be, does obedience have anything to do with salvation? And I draw this question out because many people teach all you have to do is believe in Christ to be saved. Many times they say all you have to do is accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior to be saved. And many times what they mean by that is that belief is all you need, and you don't have to obey. But we maintain on this program that the Scriptures teach that belief and obedience both are necessary. As our song, famous song says, trust and obey. A passage I like to turn to, to prove that obedience is necessary, and not just faith, not just belief, is Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. Talking about Jesus, this text reads, And being made perfect, he became the author, or the source, of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So Jesus is the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. That would imply that people that don't obey him won't receive eternal salvation. You see then how that, that verse conclusively proves that just believing alone just accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior alone, if you mean by that all you have to do is believe to be saved, is not right. This verse proves that you have to also obey Jesus in order to receive eternal salvation. Bill from Michigan, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Sure. Today in uh, church, our pastor was quoting Jesus as saying, it's difficult for a rich man to get into heaven. And I believe the word is impossible. Yeah, that's in Matthew chapter 19. Well, Matthew 19, um, I'll just quote verse 23. Jesus speaking says, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into into the kingdom of God. Then continuing down in verse 26 to get that word impossible, they had asked him, Well, then who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So if it were just based upon with men, it would be impossible for a rich man to enter into heaven, but with God it is possible. That's in Matthew 19, 23 through 26, Bill. Did you have a further comment about that? Sure. Uh, It makes perfect sense to me. And uh, I've heard people talk about the eye of the needle being a gate and 
having to unload the camel and all that. But um, I, I think you're right. Uh, when you go to where the word actually is, uh, you know, it, it does say that through God it is possible. Yeah. I, I don't think that Jesus is referring to anything um, uh, going on back there that people talk about. But Jesus is just trying to use an illustration to show how hard it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. You know, it's not impossible. We read about Abraham and Job in the Old Testament, and they were super rich but faithful to God. But a passage like 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Bill says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That that they do good work, that they do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Um, and so the point is, is that rich people are tempted to trust in their riches, perhaps more so than poor people. Poor people don't have any riches to trust in. But because the rich people have a lot of money, they tend to trust in that. But instead of trusting in that, they should trust in God and use, verse 18, they should use their resources, these great resources they have, being rich monetarily, to be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, that is, share with others. You follow me, Bill? Yeah, and thank you so much for taking my call and your uh, comments. I appreciate that. Thank you for your call, Bill. And so if we turn to a passage like Matthew 6, verse 33, which is talking about these the financial things or necessities of life. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, referring to the physical necessities, all these things shall be added unto you. And so the problem with riches is that is that we can trust in those riches instead of trusting in God. But if we're rich, if we can put God first in front of our money, then we can still be saved. Anton from Canada. It's been a long time since I heard from you, partner. What you got going? Hey, Patrick. How are you doing today, tonight? Great. Good to hear from you again. Uh, yeah, likewise. Uh, I have a question. Um, how would you describe a Christian? What What does a Christian look like? Well, uh, how about this definition for a Christian, Anton? Follower of Christ. We got that. Yeah. We got the word Christ in Christian. I think it that uh, a good way to define Christian would be follower of Christ, and so that means okay. we're gonna. You know, Jesus said in Luke six forty six, "Why you call Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say?" And so, if we're gonna call Jesus Lord, we also have to make him Lord, which means following him. Of course, he's not literally here on this earth, so we can't follow him around walking in his past literally. But we follow him by obeying his, his instructions and doing what he says. Agreed, Anton? Yeah. Um, can can uh, a Catholic be a Christian? Well, a Catholic normally has been baptized as an infant, or should I say, to be more accurate, sprinkled as a Christian. I mean, excuse me, as an infant. As an infant. But we learn from passages like Acts 8, verse 37, Anton, you remember in Acts 8, Philip is preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch, and they came up evidently upon a certain body of water. And so the eunuch said in Acts 8, verse uh, 36, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? We would say, in Alabama, we'd say, What's keeping me from being baptized? And Philip responded, Anton, Acts eight thirty-seven, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. 
And so Philip, right. when he says, if you believe, you may be baptized, that would necessarily imply that if you don't believe, you may not be baptized. So infant baptism is shown by this scripture and about six or eight or ten more to be unscriptural. Infants are not scriptural candidates for baptism. They... Um, they, they don't need to be baptized. Infant, the Catholic Church invented the doctrine of original sin and then thought, well, we better, better baptize the infants because they inherited the guilt of the sin of Adam. Well, that inherited sin idea was wrong in the first place. Infants don't need to be baptized. And so the Catholics are baptized as infants before they believe. So they've never been scripturally baptized. But Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So they haven't been saved according to Mark sixteen sixteen, because they've never been baptized as a believer. You follow me, Anton? Okay. Uh, I do, I do. Uh, what about uh, other de- denominations like uh, Baptists or uh, uh, Presbyterians, um, you know, denominations? Well? Because I, 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 I believe that you are... That you have the idea that um, that evangelist Billy Graham wasn't was a false teacher, right? Yeah, remember I had the program where we talked about Billy Graham saying that yeah. people like Muslims and Jews could be saved even though they had never believed in Christ. Now I don't have those quotes right in front of me, but Anton, I can. We're friends on Facebook, and I can send you yeah. those quotes. But Jesus said in. in um, John 14, verse 6, for example, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh into the Father but by me. So Billy Graham was contradicting John 14, 6, John 8, 24, except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. He contradicted those statements of Jesus. And a false teacher, by definition, is somebody who teaches something that's false. Since he taught something that's false, that would make him a false teacher. He taught something different than what... To the very end, he was... He was teaching that Jesus was the only way to uh, to to God to salvation. No, he taught that. No, he taught that Muslims and Jews, if they were faithful to their religion, they could be saved without ever believing in Christ. And if anybody wants those quotes, since I don't have them with me right now, send me an email at BibleCrossFire@email.com, and I'll send you those quotes that prove that Billy Graham taught that Muslims and Jews could be saved if they were faithful to their religion without ever believing in Christ. And that made, when Billy Graham taught that, and it's public, it's a matter of public record, that made him a false teacher. But Anton, as far as all those denominations, how many of those denominations that that you mentioned existed when we first read about the church beginning in, say, Acts 2, at least 3,000 were converted, Acts 4, I believe, uh, five more thousand were converted. So we have the church existing back then in Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 6. How many of those denominations existed back then, Anton? I don't think any of them existed. All right. So but uh, do you couldn't... think that, uh, that they, they can't be followers of Jesus, even if they are uh, in a denomination? Like uh, well, Baptist or, or Methodist or some something, uh, you know, something in that regard. Like well, and, Anton, so if none of those denominations existed, and I agree with you they didn't, why can't we just go back and each congregation and each Christian be like those congregations we read about in the book of Acts and those Christians we read about in the book of Acts? They just became Christians. They just... 
uh, joined together and became a congregation that belongs to Christ without joining any denomination because none of those denominations existed back then. Now, if they can do that, Anton, why can't we do that and why shouldn't we do that? Now, as far as defining a Christian, which you agreed with me, a Christian follower of Christ, when the Baptists, for example, teach once saved, always saved, that a person cannot fall from grace. And you have clear passages like, for example, Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. It says, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. They teach you can't fall from grace. This verse, Anton, says these people had fallen from grace. And so the Baptists, when they teach that, they're, they're teaching falsely. They become false teachers. So they're not following Christ. They're following their own Baptist doctrine instead of what the Bible teaches in passages like Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. Now, I'm going to have to let you go, Anton, but I'm going to give you a chance for one uh, more follow-up. Okay, so uh, in other words, if you, if you want to be a Christian, you would have to follow all the rules of the New Testament, right? It's not like Jesus said uh, that uh, he gives us a new commandment that we love one another like he loves us, right? Uh, so, and, and then the Bible also says that if you break one commandment, then you have basically broken the whole law. Like you're, you're guilty of the whole law if you break one of those commandments. And you teach that we're supposed to, we're supposed to keep all the, all the laws of the New Testament, right? Anton, I'm going to let you go, and I'll answer you off the air. I'll, I'll keep talking, but I'm going to let you off, go off there. You listen on your radio. And so Anton is exactly right. A follower of Christian means follower of Christ. So we have to follow Christ and his New Testament law, not the law of the Baptist Church or the Methodist Church or the Catholic Church, because they all teach, they, the reason they exist is because they teach different things from each other. Two plus two can't equal four and five at the same time. We need to go back and be like the churches in the book of Acts before any denominations existed and follow Christ. That's what makes us a Christian, a follower of Christ, not following denominational dogmas. Brittany from Mississippi, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Um, okay, so I grew up in an apostolic church, and I was taught whenever you reach salvation, you have to um, repent and be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Well, now I go to a Baptist church, mm-hmm. and they tell us that baptism is not required for salvation because it's just a public mm-hmm. testimony of your faith. But mm-hmm. then if you go if I go to visit my home churches or an apostolic church, they are mm-hmm. baptizing people and saying it's a lie from the devil that people say you don't have to be mm-hmm. baptized because it says in the Bible. Well, I don't know which one to believe on that. I am baptized, okay. but you know I have five kids and so I'm thinking about it. Well, Brittany, let, let's remember how should we answer any uh, spiritual question is it refer to the Bible? Yeah, not don't go to the Baptist preacher or to the Apostolic preacher. I'm, I, don't, I don't think it's wrong for you to ask them questions, but I mean they're not our standard of authority. The Bible is right. I know you agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, instead of um, going to some denomination like the Baptist denomination or the Pentecostal slash Apostolic denomination, what I've been saying is let's go back and be a member of a congregation that you can read about in the book of Acts and a Christian like you can read about in the book of Acts before any of those denominations existed. You follow me so far, Brittany? Yes. Now, 
you agree that we should use the Bible as our standard of authority as far as any question. And on this one, you're asking about baptism. So I'm going to read to you Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Brittany. And you see if this mm-hmm. is hard to understand. This is inspired of the Holy Spirit. It says, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So what does the Bible say about the purpose of baptism there, Brittany? To receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And here's another question. I felt felt like I, well, I didn't feel like I got the Holy Ghost when I was 12 before I got baptized. So that's another reason that the whole thing confuses me. Well, there's another thing that we, Brittany, there's another thing that we skipped over there. It is true that if you repent and be baptized, it says you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But what, and maybe I'll have to read it for you again if you don't have it in front of you. What did it say was the purpose for baptism? Before it said, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, it said, repent and be baptized. What for? For the remission of sins. For the remission of sins. Now, the remission of sins is just a King James Version fancy way of saying forgiveness of sins. So if you Mm -hmm. have one, if you have somebody teaching you that you don't have to be baptized to get the remission of sins, and this verse says you do have to be baptized to get the remission of sins, who are you going to believe? King James Bible. Well, it doesn't, and it's not just the King James Version. It's uh, any Bible will, uh, in Acts 2.38 will tell you you've got to be baptized for the remission of sins. They all say the same thing. And so since we have the standard of authority as God, it's his word, the Bible, the Bible says here in Acts 2.38 many other passages you've got to be baptized to be saved from your sins. This one says for the remission of sins. Then I think that's easy to see, for at least for me, Brittany, that's the truth of the matter. Anybody that says anything well, okay. different than that, don't follow them. Now, I have one other question about baptism. When I was getting baptized, we actually had an evangelist um, visiting, and he was doing some baptisms, and the preacher stopped him, or a preacher, and said, no, we don't baptize that way. And so they had this argument, and he was baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, no, you have to baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. So what is, is that? Does that? Can it be either or? Or does it there, have there, to be? You know, this says, the way it said it, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And in, in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen says, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Both of those passages have to be true. The Bible doesn't contradict itself, yeah. right, Brittany? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. evidently, baptizing in the name of Christ and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost mean the same thing. And when you realize that's not Brittany, when when it's saying that, it's not telling the baptizer what to say. It's telling the baptizer what to do. To baptize in the name of Christ doesn't mean saying I baptize in the name of Christ. It means baptize by the authority of Christ. When you baptize by the authority of Christ, you are baptizing by the authority of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And that's how both of those passages can both be true, how they reconcile. So we need to get baptized by the authority of Christ, by the authority of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's the same thing. And do it for the remission of sins. And if any preacher tells you you don't have to be baptized, then they're contradicting this and other passages. Follow me, Brittany? Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to ask you another question because I'm confused when it comes to the Holy Ghost. Like, I actually got, I spoke in tongues, and, uh, Mm -hmm. and then on the other hand, like my mom believes she received the Holy Spirit, but she has never. And that's another mm-hmm. thing with the people who, I guess, 
you know, the apostolics, they believe you have to, you know, get the Holy Ghost and not just... Well, so I'm confused about Brit- that as well. Brittany, are, uh, this came up, I think it was in last week's program. Are you familiar with the passage in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning of verse 8, where it says, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away, for we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. You familiar with that passage? No, but the fact that it says whether there be tongues. Yeah, it says they shall cease. So so if you go back and study 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13, it's saying that tongues, prophecy, the miraculous gifts, there would come a time when they would stop. And the context here shows that they would stop the means by which God revealed his New Testament law in parts, is what he's talking about, would stop. When the means by which God uh, revealed his New Testament law in in whole, when that came. and So when the New Testament was completely revealed and all put together and put in one place, this passage teaches that the tongues and the miraculous gifts would stop. Now, I had to run through that kind of quickly, Brittany, because I'm on a limited mm-hmm. time frame here. We're going to have to go off the air in about five minutes. But okay. what I'd like to do is I'd like to send you some material on that subject. Would you want me to do that so you can read yeah, about I it would. and then res- Okay. Do you have an email address you'd like to give me? Yes. Give it to me real quick. Okay. It's Brittany, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y, Pantello, P-A-N-T-E-L-O. Wait a minute. Start again. B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y, Pantello, P-A-N-T-E-L-L-O. P a n t e l l o. Uh huh. Okay. At gmail.com. Sorry, I forgot. Okay, to I'm gonna let it. you go, but I'm gonna send you that, and you, we'll okay. talk about more over email. Okay. Okay. Great. Thank you. If anybody would like me to send you that material on the miraculous gifts, proving that they, from the Bible, from First Corinthians 13, Zechariah 13, that they stopped, then I'd like to send you that material. Request that at my email address, BibleCrossfire at email.com. BibleCrossfire at email.com, and I'll send you that material on the miraculous gifts, or we can talk about anything that you want to talk about in salvation, having to do with salvation or anything else in the Bible. Justin from Indiana, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. I'm just curious about the denominational issue, um, and you talked about how those those denominations did not exist, but denominationalism did exist in in the Scriptures, where Paul says, why do you say you're a Paul or you're of Apollos? I'm glad I did not baptize many of you. So to say the denominationalism prevents somebody from being saved, I think is unscriptural. You know, I was talking about the denominations that that person, the particular person mentioned, the Baptists, the Methodists, and all those, they did not exist. But you're true that there was division and talked about in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, and what and what, Justin, you remember what Paul said about it, First Corinthians 1, was he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So they did have some doctrinal divisions back then, and Paul implored them to be united based upon the, the gospel teaching, the true teaching. Do you follow Absolutely. me so far, Justin? Oh, yeah, so, absolutely. I agree with that. But I, but I think to, to isolate and say the denominational – but Paul did not condemn them to not be saved. Paul urged them 
on to pursue their salvation and and, and to seek it out with fear and trembling. But to well, to make a condemnation other than that is outside of Scripture. Well, what about I hear what you're saying, Justin. What do you think about this passage on that particular detail you're talking about? Galatians 1, 6 through 9. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ into another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And so that's why I would suggest, Justin, that people that teach something different than what Paul taught, than the New Testament doctrine, this says that they you, would be are you, are you saying then that the gospel, he's referring specifically to the gospel, not to the scriptures, but only to the gospel. And there's a difference. You know, just like there's a difference between the word of God being Jesus and the scriptures as the words that God laid out for people to, to Justin, proclaim. I'm going to have to go off the air. Thank you. Send me an email, biblecrossfire at email.com.